Hello, and we're back with another CMO Combo, the show where we cover the important issues facing modern CMOs. We're welcoming back Alan Gleason, and this time we're diving into the world of branding for early-stage B2B SaaS companies. Hi, Alan. Welcome back to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? I'm great, Will. How are you? I, I am great, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be speaking to you again. It's, it's our third time speaking on the show, and it's been two great conversations, um, and I'm looking forward to our third one because it's... It's something that's very near to my heart. We're talking about branding, uh, particularly in startups, and it's probably something you've got a lot of experience with. Um, do you want to explain a bit about your background before we launch into that to give a bit of context about why we're talking about branding with you today? Sure, and thanks for having me back on again. So yeah, so I'm a B2B SaaS consultant, a strategic consultant working with uh, typically VC-backed SaaS startups, so software as a service. Um, I'm based in London and work with a, with a mix of clients. I guess I'm trying to help them all grow. That's what it boils down to. So I have, you know, a different sort of set of skill sets that are all designed to help these companies grow and scale. So um, where does branding fit into growing and scaling a startup? It's not something that tends to be a high priority in Series A, very early stage startups, but it can be very beneficial. So where, where does it fit into sort of the startup SaaS landscape? Yeah, it's it's a great question, right? Because it is it is very nuanced. Um, and again, I'll have to make some assumptions to answer that question. But you know, a typical journey for a for a B2B SaaS company in Europe is one whereby they'll raise a seed round. Um, and you know, that can vary again in terms of amounts, right? Obviously, they raise a lot more in the US um, compared to Europe, but it's typically pretty modest amounts. Um, Again, we're going to talk about B2B versus B2C, because again, I think that is interesting in terms of the context, right? But branding is, um, and I don't have a definition in front of me, but you know, it covers everything from the visual identity, the, the naming, the colors, the pantones, the font choices. Um, and then sort of further on, it kind of relates to things like brand awareness, which means does the target market, particularly your ideal customer profile or personas that you want to target do they do they know of the brand so it kind of encompasses a lot of course you've also rightly pointed out that um you know the early days of startups really are are quite different than established businesses because in the early days you know you are very much trying to validate some assumptions you've made that there's an opportunity exists right so it's a really tricky piece because you're resource constrained you have a thousand things to do um, and then I guess the last kind of piece to think about, Will, is, you know, the branding really is, is more important in, in companies whereby, you know, you need trust and probity and credibility. So fintechs is a, is a great example, right? So given, you know, you're entrusting finance to a startup, they're going to need a fairly big chunk of change as a seed round or, or a series A because they're going to have to invest heavily in the branding piece because no one is going to transact on a website if it looks like there's no real branding or there's no no real confidence from the visual um, identity and so on. So, you know, it comes in at a very, very early stage and it's fairly all-consuming. Do, do you want me to kind of go into some of the things or do you want to come in with a question? No, yeah, yeah, let, 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 let's dive into that. Um, yeah, um, and that, um, yeah let, 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 let's go into um, uh, those, uh, the different things you were building to. I, I didn't really have a, a question I wanted to jump into at that point. So, Great. So, so, yeah. so look, the, the whole point of SaaS is that it's a website, right? Your, 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 your website is your portal on the world. So, you know, you're going to have to have a domain name and domain names form part of the brand, right? And of course, it's almost impossible to get a .com 
uh, domain name these days. So you end up with all these kind of crazy convoluted names. So it is really hard to get a domain name um, at the moment. You probably need to budget for buying one. Um, not great spend, not something you want to do, but you probably want to budget 10K for a, for, for a domain. Now, where do you get it at the start? You may not. You might want to just do a .io um, or something for the initial stages with a view to trying to eventually acquiring, it, acquiring a bigger one. Why? People like .coms, they trust them. They don't trust crazy long made up names that, that, that are, you know, just don't make sense. So that, so that naming piece is quite important. Your website, you, you know, then will have a logo, it'll have font choice, it'll have pantones, it'll have color schemes. Look, I, I'd be tempted to not nickel and dime it and to get some sort of input at that stage from a visual um, designer. Um, you know, there are entry level people out there that can do a brand book and can do some, some mood boards, which enable you to then pick a, pick a look and feel which you can then, then deploy across your, your product. Because obviously if you're SaaS, you've also got an, an application to deploy it. So you want to avoid, you know, Times New Roman fonts, right? You want to avoid um, glaringly bright colors. Again, this is why you're, you're better off using a, a dedicated agency. Of course, the beauty of this modern, um, you know, world we live in is that there are lots of freelancers now, meaning that you can definitely acquire you know, a visual identity and logo for a lot less than you could have done historically. So they're kind of the building blocks to get in place from the get-go. As you said, it still takes a bit of investment there and getting that investment can be quite can be quite tricky for a lot of, of CMOs in, in startup landscapes, um, particularly because a lot of the time they're going to be working with, with, with people who aren't in marketing backgrounds. They don't have necessarily the awareness of like the power of a brand like to them, it's just a nice logo and nice colors where it can do be so much more and be so much more important, particularly in the SaaS landscape where one of the big issues is market saturation. There's so many SaaS companies out there within just about every single sector, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's just like workplace messenger apps, there's a huge amount of competition. And that means that a brand has got to be very, very important to stand out from that crowd, surely. Yeah, look, absolutely. And again, you know, what, what you're referencing then is, I mean, the early days is very much around validating the, some, the assumptions that you built the company on, right? So, you know, your initial site could be on Squarespace or Webflow, it kind of some, you know, not that many pages, but it's, it's really just designed to help convert, right? You, you've literally got one shot, somebody clicks on an ad or they type in your name, they're landing on a homepage. That's where most traffic stays on, on, on SaaS websites. And they're trying to get a, get a view on first impressions. Of course, the beauty of it is you can you can evolve and you know update your brand. So as you kind of grow and scale and you're beginning to get more revenue, you you know it is relevant and timely to be investing and reinvesting in your brand on every few years. So you can do sort of fairly major refreshes. Typically, if you raise a Series A, right, there's there's usually a juncture whereby um, you know around the Series A transaction where you're bringing in in, in a lot of cash, then, then it makes absolute sense to kind of get a proper you know visual identity refresh with UI UXers involved, where you are selecting the font, um, you know, small things like that, pantones, call to action buttons, marketing collateral. So I think that's the kind of journey, and then the kind of separate piece on top of this will is the brand awareness piece, right? Because again, in those early years there's a very heavy focus on lead gen and demand gen. Um, and, you know, 
people in, in, in the company want to see a return on investment. So they're very, it's very easy to put money into Google Ads where you can track it through attribution, see how it's working. You'll invest in content. But really, you know, to get brand awareness, you are looking at activities that there's, you know, it's more difficult to see a direct ROI. So you are getting into the world of attending events and exhibitions and writing checks for 20 and 30 K to be visible at these and maybe doing some, you know, ads on LinkedIn, where again, you're just looking to build awareness amongst your target market without being ever, ever able to really, you know, attribute it back. Now, of course, some people would say you should be able to attribute it back, but you know, again, it depends on, on the size of the company, the tech stack you have, the resources you have, but often you don't. So the brand awareness piece then, often starts to grow around the series B level where you then can write checks for, you know, having your brand on third party websites when, you know, it's a pay to play. If you want to feature in the newsletter, you're going to have to pay for it. If you want to have banners on their website, if you want to have sponsored content, you're going to have to pay for it. So that's kind of some of the things to think about, but it will depend depending where on your journey you're at. So the kind of brand piece is very different when you're a, you know, right out the gate, when you're a couple of years in, when you're hitting the Series A piece, when you're hitting Series B. Um, so, so that's the way to kind of think about it. As you said, it can, it can vary depending on the, the sector. And like you said, the, the cybersecurity or fintech sector where trust is very important and building that brand awareness at an early stage has got to be the more advantageous than maybe other sectors, um, as you said earlier. Um, Sorry, we're going to pause a second. Yeah. I think... Uh, um, so, um, yeah, but it, it can vary depending on um, the sector you're in within the SaaS marketplace, kind of depending on how early you want. Like you said, cybersecurity or fintech, where trust is very important. You're going to build a brand awareness, build a, build a brand up at an earlier stage. Um, but going back to something you said about brand awareness not being necessarily attributable for ROI, it is still measurable, though. You still can measure the success of brand awareness activities. Like, what, what should people be looking out for? in early stage companies who are doing brand awareness? Because you're, you're not going to necessarily get the front page of uh, the Wall Street Journal or something like that right off the bat um, to show we've made it in terms of brand awareness. Like what kind of metrics should they be looking for to measure brand awareness activities? Yeah, and look, again, there'll be a lot of, you know, reference material in this, particularly more on the consumer side, where they're looking at things like brand recall and brand recognition, those sorts of things, which again, don't translate as easily into the sort of B2B SaaS world where, you know, you're probably not doing broadcast media, you're not doing, you know, television adverts, you know, you know your, your budgets are much more modest, right? So it is difficult to kind of, to, to really spend a huge amount of time on it at that point. I mean, I guess you can look at things like your direct traffic. So, and, you know, is there in Google Search Console, you can look at the number of brands of names search for your brand, and that's an easy metric to track, right? So, you know, people will search in Google um, for your company name and you want to see that growing kind of steadily and consistently. So you can look in Google Search Console, which is a free tool that most SaaS companies run, and you can look at um, impressions uh, and clicks and you can compare them month over month and quarter over quarter. That's a, probably the most direct way you can kind of measure the brand uplift in terms of um, you know the the number searching, but again, like all these, it's a proxy, right? Because you could have people that are just searching because they want to log into the system. Um, I want to log into your app, and, and, and you so you have to probably um, filter out some of that traffic. But that's probably one way to to definitely 
um, you know, look at it. And then you have other ones where you can survey people that are in your ideal customer profile bracket and see, do they know you? And I think that this piece about the ICP is quite important actually, because with consumer brands, there tends to be mass recognition because there's mass media used to promote awareness of them. Would be to be SaaS, you know, you're not really caring about the mass and knowing about you, you're caring, do your ideal customer profiles know about you? And they could be very narrow, right? It could be as simple as CFOs, the chief financial officers working in fintechs in the UK. Like if your solution is designed just for those, then there's no point trying to raise awareness amongst people that are not in that bucket. So you're really trying to understand, um, does that kind of audience know you exist? And again, you know, one way you could do it is serving people in that cohort and just seeing do they do they know and recognize the brand. But again, I'd say, you know, one of the things just to be aware of is again in terms of resourcing and prioritization, often the effort and time can be quite significant going into this exercise. And it's a bit of a vanity metric, I guess, because you know, um, really if you're in B2B SaaS, you want to be more focused on a smaller set of KPIs, which you can meaningfully impact. And sort of brand awareness is probably not one that you'd have as a core metric. Okay, okay. Um, let's, go, let's go to resourcing um, and prioritizing. Um, you mentioned the, how advantageous outsourcing uh, sort of the brand activities to, to either a freelancer or a brand agency. Where would you advise people start going about that process? Like, is it about looking for people you know? Is it a word of mouth? Is there, are there certain places on the internet where it's really, really good to find these types of people? Like, or is it just like search on LinkedIn for a branding agency kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, look, look again, um, it depends on where you're at in your journey, right? So for me, having worked, I've worked with a number of agencies over the years. So I've kind of got my go-to agency, which means... If I work with a new client, you know, I don't get into the world of getting four or five different agencies to pitch. I just pick the one that I've always worked with. Why? A couple of reasons. One, they have a track record working with me. I know the, the, the kind of quality of their work is second to none. Um, they get B2B SaaS. And of course, they can be very, you know, realistic with their commercials because they don't need to be reliant on winning the pitch because essentially, you know, I'm bringing them in. If you're earlier on your journey, you don't have that network. Sure, there's lots of um, ones out there. I guess it's key to understand what is the budget that the, the CEO or the company are willing to sign off on it because that will sort of constrain where you can go. But, you know, for example, I'm working with a, an agency at the moment that they're based in Poland. Um, they're B2B SaaS specialists and, um, you know, they're very high quality and the cost is a bit lower than you get in London. So there's numerous ways, but I think personal recommendations are definitely key, but also, you know, making sure that you're picking someone that's, um, they may have an accountant dribble so you can go and see their work. So we, we've talked a bit about the practicality. One of the big practicalities that you've touched on is outsourcing to brand agencies and to, to freelancers. And probably the biggest question that's going through a lot of our audience minds is, how do you know you found the right agency to work with? How do you know that you found the right freelancers to work with? Is, is it simply a case of Googling, Googling them, looking up their reputation online, or is it word of mouth? Like what, what process do you take when you're, when you're outsourcing to brand, brand agencies? 
Yeah, well, I, I guess you're right. There's a lot of providers, right? And it's no different from, you know, getting an extension built in your house. There's lots of builders out there. So how do you kind of, you know, pick a good one? And if you think about it, you know, word of mouth is always kind of really important when you're trying to select from, I guess, let's be frank, again, a very competitive market with, a, you know, an excess of supply, right? So there's lots of these out there. So, so like word of mouth is definitely what I would use to kind of triage it. So my own model, again, as a sort of someone that's been working in this space for a while is, you know, I've, I've got a trusted agency that I use, right? So I very much, you know, recognized that over the years that the search costs are quite significant and, um, you know, you, you want to, of course, short circuit that. So I've been fortunate to work with um, a company called Imagist London um, as an agency who... And probably more B2C for a lot of their work, but, um, you know, they have a good track record in B2B as well. So, you know, I, I essentially use them when I can. Now, again, what I'd say to your listeners is a couple of things to think about. So, you know, the kind of traditional process is you go out to a number, get them to pitch, and sometimes they'll come in and do, you know, kind of a beauty parade whereby, um, you know, they're essentially showcasing their, their skill set. I mean, I think that model is fine for bigger companies, right? But of course, for more time-constrained, more resource-constrained companies, I, I don't think it's optimal because, you know, that cost gets added in, right? I mean, of course, they're going to bake that cost in because of win-loss ratios, right? And they're going to lose lots of these. And, and, and of course, there's obviously demands in your time because of the more agencies to pitch to you. And sometimes you know, they'll all kind of have the same process, right? So they'll come back with some maybe mood boards or they'll come back with some sort of reference clients or some examples. So, you know, what you're really looking for is, um, you know, someone that you think you can work well with because it is it can be a challenging process. And again, you know, the last point to think about on it, Will, is, is if you're the marketing lead, you know, you'll probably want to bring your CEO in early on in the process, right? Because it's quite a subjective process, right? So the visual identity might be different color schemes. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is explore a number of options with the agency and choose a route that actually you think is fantastic. And then your CEO gets a look at it and goes, uh, uh, you know, that's not what I had in mind. So, so I'm probably going off on a little bit of a tangent, but it was just as I was talking, it was something that I thought was, was worth sharing was that you probably need the key decision maker um, involved in the process because, you know, otherwise you could have a lot of waste of time. And then the flip side is you don't want to be opening it to everybody that's to have 10 a penny, everyone having their views, because that route is, is, is going to lead to you know, problems too, right? You're going to have everybody, I like this, I don't like, it, and then they're going to be people, you know, very vocal about not liking X or Y. So, so, so there are some of the things to think about. Definitely. I, I, I can imagine everyone in the audience, myself included, who have agency experience know all too well, like the, the dangers of both those options of having, yeah, not having the key stakeholders involved from the outset, but then also having too many voices in the room. It can be very difficult. And that sort of leads me to my next question. That comes to how detailed a brief do you would you propose presenting to these these potential agencies? Like how much guidance should we give them, or should it be more of like a clean clean slate canvas for them to work with? Yeah, like you mightn't want to give a lot up front, right? So so like part of it is because they'll have, of course, their own internal recipes around how they do it, whether they interview customers, whether they do mood boards, whether they 
Um, like, is, is it just a visual identity that they're doing? Um, are you B2B? Are you B2C? You know, and, and then, you know, what kind of nature of industry, right? Because if you think about it, if you're in banking, for example, financial services, blues and navies tend to be kind of quite common. Um, you know, if you're in, in sort of uh, sustainability or environmentally friendly, you're kind of pushing more towards a green palette. So, you know, so, so what I'd say in terms of the brief, you know, you've got to be clear on your, your budgetary kind of expectations, right? So, so I think that's the key because, of course, the scope of these projects can be very broad or very narrow. So I do think signaling your kind of budget um, and being kind of realistic on your budget. There's no point putting a 5K budget together if, if, you know, if it's a significant piece of work and you want, you know, a lot of stakeholders involved in the process from a point of view of, you know, inputting into it and, um and whether you want them to do things like the collateral afterwards and, you know, and, and often there is, you know, a need to do a lot of stuff, right? There's not, not any point in just taking a set of guidelines and then, of course, you have to deploy them. So, you know, I'd argue that you're better off baking that into the process because it means that it's, sure, it pushes the price up, but it means the one agency then are doing everything from business card production through to maybe sales enablement you know, um, collateral, be it a couple of PDFs, or maybe there's a couple of corporate videos that are included. Um, so, so I think, you know, directly answering your question, I'd, I'd kind of keep the brief. I think the two main things for me are often timelines and cost, right? They're, they're, you know, is there a specific deadline date? And it could be that there's a major event happening at some point where they want the visual identity refresh for that. Obviously, budget will depend on, you know, if you're kind of around a, a I mentioned earlier, I think that if you've just had a, a Series A or Series B raise, you know, investing in the brand then typically will mean you're going to have a meteor budget and you're going to be willing to commit that if you're obviously bootstrapped, you're in a slightly different space. So I think the brief should be, I like one pagers. I think budget timelines, expectations. Um, uh, and then I think you have an early conversation with them almost like a discovery call where the key stakeholder is involved where you're trying to make sure that the scope is really tightly defined. So, you know, is there a website content, my content management system migration as part of the process? You know, is it, um, you know, is the product needing to get the visual identity in tandem, which often it will do, is that easy to do? You know, are they redesigning pages? Are they, you know, are they, are, are they going to come up with five different visual concepts? Are they going to come up with two? Um, you know, where you're signaling to them, you know, a bit of detail about the buyer personas so that they're really hearing firsthand, you know, um, and, and also things like if there's red lines because they may not know, right? So I had a client recently who's got a political software um, application and, you, you know, the client, or sorry, the agency asked a really great question, you know, should we avoid blue and red because it was for the US and you want to be careful that you're not pitching something that looks like a Democrat solution or Republican solution by choosing a color that's aligned with one of those parties. So that's the sort of nuance that you won't get in a brief will, but you kind of get an initial discovery call. Uh, so there are some of the things. So I guess I'm saying probably a one pager for the brief, keeping in mind budget and timelines. And then I guess it's kind of thinking about the stage that's post the brand being done. Like in some ways you may at the most basic just get a brand book or um, set of visual identity guidelines or brand guidelines, whatever you want to call it. And you may get a collection of logos and icons and, and that may be it. Or you may decide, actually, we need to look at the rollout and the rollout then may include this much wider remit. 
and that might even include things like selection of stock imagery for websites. So, um, so there's some of the things to think about. When it, when it comes to the actual process of them doing the work, um, obviously every agency has their own different working processes and stuff. And you've got one that you work with quite closely, so you're, you're clearly quite happy with their process. But how much, how much control do you have over things? How much input do you have on like how they develop ideas? Do you do you jump on a call with them? Uh, like semi-regularly like every day every week like how how much input do you have on on the process yeah again it depends on the budget right so, so let's say you, you know if, if it's a significant six-figure sum then you'd expect kind of account management and relationship management and sort of you know regular engagement if you're on a much more modest um, budget for a client and you're closer to the 10 or 20k range you know they're going to be watching the clock and you want to avoid trying to eat up all their time on meetings when you know, that's not going to keep them happy because they're, they're going to feel right. I can't be working on the creative if I'm constantly having, having meetings. So, um, so I think, you know, will my, my kind of, if I had a phrase, it, it depends, right? So um, I think what you will find is like, you can do things like um, add them to Slack channels. So, so that's one thing we typically would do. We would create a specific project for, this, for, for um, a Slack channel for the project. And that would include the external agency and the internal team. So at least the communication flow is, is fairly constant through that on an as-needed basis. We'd also run a, a teamwork or um, a Trello board um, project management sort of shared tool where, again, um, you're kind of keeping an eye on things through that and probably then a weekly call. But again, it's an interesting one. So I tend recently, I've kind of, I stepped out of a lot of those kind of calls myself because I, I recognize that actually it kind of goes back to something we touched on earlier, Will. If the CEO has got you know a very strong view on the direction, you know, there's no point, you know, it's to your point earlier, right? the more voices you have on those calls, the easier it is to um you know, to provide bad feedback, right? So I was reviewing a mood board the other day that I, that an agency put together in terms of brand direction. I kept dumb. I just kept out of it because, you know, I kind of get back to the, the ultimate point is it is often a subjective decision. And, you know, the CEO will often have this, the, you know, the, the loudest voice. And sure, you step in if you think, actually, look, this is just way off. But ultimately, most of these are kind of, they're modern palettes chosen, they're modern fonts. Um, the kind of agencies get the distinction between B to B and B to C. Um, and then, the, you know, a lot of the other stuff is so subjective. Unless you see something daft there, you're better off just leaving it go and, and let the CEO then um, make the call, which then also obviously helps with buy-in um, because, of course, they're ultimately the ones that have kind of signed off on it, right? So it makes the sell to, to the rest of the exec a bit easier. So when, so when it comes to buy-in, um, what kind of process do you recommend in terms of rolling out to the rest of the company? Is it, is it just like one big meeting where you unveil things? Or do you get other people involved in like how developments going how things are progressing along the way not necessarily them providing direct feedback to the agency but maybe just a gorge like there uh, how much people who work at the startup like where the brand direction is going because that, that is important if you don't like your branding you're going to be less passionate about it. you're going to be less enthused about doing work under it so what what kind of process do you have in terms of rolling out a new brand identity to the rest of the the organization yeah look i'm smiling because because you, you know you can't keep everyone happy right and there will always be there will always be people that choose reason to kind of, um, you know, and, and look, we're subjective, you know, I go back to that point. So, so what I like means, you know, you may not like it and that's fine. I mean, what I often will say though is, 
it's a journey, right? And, and like I'll often, often the brand that you're moving away from, particularly in the companies I work, which are predominantly earlier stage B2B SaaS, there were kind of, that process was probably done in, on a lower budget and in, in, in a kind of a, um, in a less strategic sense, because they may have not had a senior marketing person involved. They may not have had enough budget to get a proper agency involved. So often, you know, you are kind of migrating from a, a world that, yeah, they, they kind of get it, that it's that they're not that closely wedded to it and that actually anything is, is an uplift. But then on the rollout, um, you mean you do need, you know, it goes back to you just don't want that many cooks. So the rollout really is an execution phase where you've, you've done the brand unveil. And again, it can vary between, you know, the kind of, obviously you want to unveil it internally before you, you do a public unveil, right? But you'd have a plan around timelines and dates. Um, and again, you'd, you'd, you know, the, the rollout will be dependent on, I guess, the, the nature of activities of the company. So if it's a B2B SaaS company, your website's going to be the main thing to change, followed by, um, followed by your application, right? What you don't want to have is a different SaaS look and feel to, to, the, to the, and that can be a bit difficult. So you, you do need to be, you know, communicating with the head of product early on in, in the process that this is coming down the tracks and, and obviously that we're going to need um, stuff changed. And then you are thinking along the lines of what are the other elements that do need to be, be looked at. And again, agencies will have checklists and, 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 you know, you can keep track of them, but it'll be everything from business cards to collateral through to, you know, um, again, B2B SaaS, most of the activities done online. So, so, so you kind of have that kind of covered off, but it could be exhibitions and events whereby you do need material for, for new booths or, or, or stands or, or pens and, and, and those sort of things. So they need to be baked in as well. But but the role that I think really will is you are issuing instructions for execution. You're not really giving people the, the open door to, oh, I don't like the way the font is rendered or I don't like, you, you know, because it kind of goes back to one of the challenges with marketing, Will, is is people like to give their views and interfere. And it's kind of like, I don't go in and say to the product, I don't like what code we've chosen to, to write the code, the product, you know, um, what code base we're working in or, but marketing, because it's obviously a more visual and, and, and public kind of um, face of the company. Everybody wants to be experts, right? And they may miss the nuance around things like readability or um, the fact that, you know, specialists have, you know, you know, they, they may choose a route that's maybe all the main actors in, in, in the industry have a certain color and they deliberately, cyber is one, right? So cyber is often quite dark. So, you know, the agency may have deliberately decided, you know, let's go an alternative route. Let's, let's really try and be different, which of course will look um, odd for those that are cybersecurity people because all they know is this world of, you know, dark and heavy and sort of, you know, Google cyber companies, and you'll see what I mean, they all follow a similar template. So it might've been a deliberate strategy to help you stand out from the crowd rather than one that makes you fit in and it's sort of, it's aligned with the crowd. So again, unless you know the backdrop or the background to that, you won't have a kind of an understanding. So, so there's some of the things, well. Especially when it comes to stuff with, um, like you're saying about the, the cultural stuff, like the, the political colors, for example, that's something that someone who isn't, involved in the branding process all the way through you might not be aware of those considerations they've taken into um you've taken into account when your approach they might not be aware of why you've picked a certain color for a certain region for example 
So when it comes to external rollout, I'm, I'm going to assume that there are so many variables involved that it's really impossible to say like how you'd announce a rebrand at this, at this stage of a company. Like, is there a certain process that you would prefer to follow with that? If, you, if, if all the stars aligned, you had all the resources available, what would be your ideal way of approaching rolling out a rebrand externally? Yeah, and again, I'm just going to draw you back to one distinction that, again, is, is always useful, right? So, so B2C and international is very different to B2B SaaS, yeah. right? So, so, so you're probably less, you're, you're less thinking about, and again, it goes back to budget, right? So, so like if you're B2C and you've got international scope, you're going to have to do a lot more around checking that your colors aren't, you know, an affront to certain, certain sectors or certain countries. And whereas B2B is more, of a, um, you know, again, because it's, it's, it is a more constrained audience and it's more limited to certain verticals and it's a smaller audience and these things. So, so for me, a simple LinkedIn animated video is probably, you know, one of the things that get it out alongside probably a, um, a message from the CEO to customers and stakeholders so that there's a little bit of advanced warning and these can be very short emails or documents that essentially say, I mean, they'll often say the same, they'll use the same language with us. So as we've evolved our model and as we look for the, the next phase of growth, we've now decided to refresh your visual identity with a view to helping us get to the next level. Um, and I think the kind of key point here is that B2B SaaS is never really a steady state, right? So you're kind of either, you know, pre-startup and you're doing your pre-product market fit piece, which is one phase, and then you might be doing product market fit with a little bit of growth and then you might be doing you know a growth phase that kind of takes you into funding and then you might get into you know a scale-up phase that takes internationalization internationalization on board but also you may be transitioning into becoming more mature on that journey where you're targeting enterprise clients over time rather than maybe smaller startups initially so all these things feel feed in and, and, and you'd expect the brands to be tweaked every few years. So I, I, I guess the communication, I would see predominantly two things. I'd say one is probably making sure that you're not, you know, no surprises, right? So you're sort of, you're, you know, you're communicating in advance to shareholders, investors, customers about it coming. And that's usually just the written communication. And then I think the public one is simply, you know, video on LinkedIn is, is often sufficient, you know, whereby, um, that's your kind of way of announcing it to the world. And then I go back to like B2B SaaS or niche businesses for kind of smaller audiences. So you probably, you know, yeah, if you've unlimited budget, you can do a lot more, but but that's kind of how I would kind of consider it. Um, uh, you know, so, so I think, again, I'm kind of being a bit more modest in what, what I'm saying in terms of the aspirations. Clearly, if you're Series C level and raise a huge amount of money, um, and you look at companies like TransferWise would have rebranded to Wise recently, and that was a lot more budget, a lot more activity, a lot more um, stuff was done. But again, the assumption I'm making for the purpose of this call for kind of European B2B SaaS companies, you know, that most of them are pre-Series B, right? So they're going to have to have smaller budgets and smaller then sort of objectives to roll it out. No, I, think, I think being fairly... Um, fairly conservative with it is is the right way to go because as as we've said earlier in the in this discussion like it, you're fairly lucky to have any kind of budget whatsoever to put towards brand building and brand awareness activities in in a series a or series b company so yeah being being modest with the the potential capabilities i think that that's definitely the way to go um so 
sorry, I'm just going to pause for a second and we'll, we'll edit this out while I gather my thoughts. Um, so when it, when it does come to like the, the brands out there, you've got, you've got new shiny website, new logo, new brand identity. How do you, how do you measure the success of that? Like, do you, do you pay attention to like buzz on social media? Is that the way to go? Or is it, purely just anecdotal feedback from from clients and customers because it wouldn't be marketing if we didn't have kpis and metrics to measure success so how do we measure the success of branding in the in the startup space yeah look, it's a good question again for listeners i think one of the things to be aware of is that often the the kind of academic theory written about branding is very much b2c and is it for much bigger companies with which you know if you had you know, a much bigger company with much bigger resources and, and size, you'd be looking at brand share and percentage of, you know, of the market. And, you know, you'd have different things like brand recall, where you might interview a thousand um, representatives of your buyer personas and, and sort of see, do they, um, can they recall adverts or do they know the brand name? Of course, again, with B2B SaaS, that's not realistic or not really achievable. So, you know, it is a difficult exercise. And again, I'd, I'd even go one step further is, you know, is it really a priority exercise, right? Because, you know, often the whole point of the marketing capability in B2B SaaS companies is you have to be ruthless in terms of deciding which KPIs are most important. And, and I would argue things like lead generation, activation, retention, reducing churn are KPIs that are kind of the most important ones. Now, brand awareness obviously plays in, but it's your point, it is difficult to measure. Um, I think one way that you can you can definitely look at it is there are proxies like, you know, using something like Google Search Console, you can, if you go to Google Search Console, you'll find, it's essentially, you can find what were the keywords that people searched to, to find your website, right? That's one of the things you can do in Google Search Console. So you'd see the impressions, but you'll also see the clicks. Now, what you'll find is it's a huge long list of, you know, as you can imagine, there's different ways people find your website, but your brand's name will always be the top of your of your list, right? No doubt about it. It'll be the brand's name and a few derivatives of it, followed by keywords, what I would call generic keywords. So if you're a project management tool, it might be project management software. If you're an accounting software application, it might be accounting software. But your brand will typically be the be, be the one at the top, right? So you can use Google Search Console to then do a look back so you can kind of see the trend, you know, last three months versus the previous three months or last three months versus the three months, the same period a year ago. And you can then sort of see the brand uplift in terms of is there a lot more um, searches, you know, in that time period based on activity you've done in the market to, to kind of um, to boost it. So, so that's definitely a way uh, that you can you can look at it. Another way you can probably look in Google Analytics, you can look at the percentage that are coming to your website direct. Now, again, these are proxies, right? They come with a health warning. So, you know, other people will be searching for your brand because of maybe jobs announcements. So that could spike it, right? Or, you know, there could be a growth in people coming direct to your website because your customer base has really grown aggressively and people are coming straight there to log in. So they're not the cleanest of metrics, but at least directionally, they kind of give you a, a sense as to the, the, the trend. And obviously you're hoping the trend is, per, is percentage growth in the right direction. So there are some of the areas that I would look at, Will. But again, I'd get back to, 
there are plenty of others, but they probably, you know, entail a lot more work and effort and cost. And you know, then I'd pose the question, are they a vanity metric? Do they really, you know, are they important drivers? And I guess also where I'd get to is, you know, part of it is you can almost tell visually looking at a website, like does the brand feel and look like it's professional? Is it enterprise grade? If it kind of checks a lot of those things, then you're into actually things that are associated around the brand, like word of mouth referrals, which are really, you know, a consequence of less about the brand building awareness piece. They're more around does the solution, you know, demonstrably offer value that fixes problems people have. And if the solution, yeah, sorry, sorry, oh, William. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. like like that's kind of the key piece where like you know, we've lots of products, but but a really great product fixes a pain and does so in a way that like is really clear that there's a value that that's being delivered. That then gets word of mouth referrals going, which mean you get you know, you get the brand recognition kind of through the virality. You know, there's no Super Bowl ads in in B two B, right? I mean, that just doesn't happen. So it's a different approach. I mean, that, I, I have seen a couple of B two B Super Bowl ads in in the last year, but you, but you are right; it's it's not on the same scale. It's not. Gonna well, they're the whales. They're they're the ones that have kind of yeah. they're unicorn ones. So it's and, definitely, and they tend they tend to be more aimed at sort of entrepreneurs. So it's it's almost like a B two C approach anyway with their marketing. Right. Um, but you're you're right when you when you get right back to it, you have to be realistic with the strength of a brand at that stage of company like the 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 main thing that's going to drive your your reputation your standing at an early stage SaaS startup is going to be word of mouth it is going to be the quality of the products and a brand can't paste over the gaps that a poor product could have so focusing on getting the getting the product perfect and marketing supporting a way to get that word about mouth out the product is really good seems to be the priority do you agree yeah i mean i mean this is it right that there's 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 lots of variables that input put into the kind of whole whole success right and brand definitely plays a part but you know it's it's not a case of that's the only element you know they all kind of factor in the other point just to kind of reflect on for a second particularly for the early stages is this notion of personal brand which i think is actually quite valuable too um, you know, there's a book by Tom Peters probably 20 years ago called The Brand You, which talked about your personal brand. And that's definitely something that I see works well, um, almost in parallel, where, you, you know, the individual, you know, running the company is essentially creating a persona that's independent of it. Um, and I'll give you one kind of tiny example on that is, you, you know, um, what you'll often find now is people are less engaged with branding, let's say on social through following Twitter or following LinkedIn company profiles. They're more likely to focus on the individual. And I read um, an article recently whereby a company had a breakdown of the different sources of, of traffic to their site. And actually the, the, the CEO's LinkedIn profile was one of the key drivers of high quality leads because their personal brand and, and they found, you know, they found that their personal brand was actually one that they'd invested in. And, and I believe in that, right? I think people, you know, like to follow people. So if you're a good storyteller and you're, you know, you're working on helping people solve problems, your personal brand becomes very important in those early stages. And, and the kind of final point on a will was they recognized that they were getting no engagement on their corporate Twitter account and no engagement on their LinkedIn. It just wasn't happening. So again, that's something to bear in mind that is kind of more peculiar to B2B SaaS, 
but it is kind of aligning. And of course, you know, we're all time constrained, we're all resource constrained. And, you know, it sounds like there's an ever list of things to do. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, your personal brand is a part of the, of the journey. And at the very least, having a robust and active LinkedIn presence, I think, for most categories of B2B SaaS is useful because people trust people and, you know, they want to understand, you know, they, they want to know the CEO of these companies or, the, you know, are the primary founders. So I think that's kind of another point just to kind of reflect on. It's a great point as well, because particularly in um, building that LinkedIn presence, like I'm, this is purely anecdotal. I haven't done in-depth research on this but I, I believe that i have read in a few places that linkedin does prioritize posts from from people they don't prioritize um placing branded stuff at the top of the at the top of your feed due to the algorithm so having your having a personal account to drive that kind of traffic is going to be a very powerful thing just got to make sure you've got a nice charismatic ceo, CEO i suppose and but that's a whole different kettle of fish isn't it i suppose yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it is right. So, but I think it is look like it's like all these things that there's no you know one thing solves everything. It's it's the journey is full of all these little small steps that you need to take. And um, we've talked a lot about branding today, but I guess some of the key messages are, you know, it can be hard to measure, um, but it's almost this subjective look and feel. And if you were to show different websites, you can kind of see the ones that have invested in the brand because you know the signals will be there, right? They'll have strong imagery they'll have a clear kind of palettes that are pantones that are you know are complementary they'll have a font choice that looks modern and clean and that gives confidence because you can kind of then feel okay these people are investing in their software they're clearly you know this is you know basic human nature right looks like they're invested in it it's going to be around for a while i have confidence whereas if it looks like copyright 2019 down in the footer <laughs> and times new roman font and a kind of a you know a branded entity that looks like it's being picked from somebody on Fiverr for you know a quick fix, you know that might suffice for the very early stages as you're sort of using your personal network to to help seed leads. But once you try and get out into the big bad world and and, and kind of you know build scalable programs, that's not going to fly. Awesome. I think that I think that's a great note to, to end on there, Alan. Um, particularly the note about confidence, because that's what's all that's what it's all about with SaaS. You want to have confidence in the software you're using, and that's what a brand can do. It can help build that confidence in the in the product. Uh, thank you once again for speaking to me, Alan. It's been another great conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm sure our audience has found it as useful as ever. Um, thank you to our audience for listening, and we'll be back soon with another CMO combo. Thanks so much, Will. Great to be on.